0: You're listening to Portfolio Builders, a WealthCap Holdings podcast about long-term wealth building and financial independence. Here are your hosts, Chris Evans and
1: Taylor Welch. Taylor, thanks a lot for taking time to come on the show today. Uh, Could you give our listeners a little information on your background?
2: Background, how far back do you want me to go?
1: Uh, That's a good question. I guess as far back as the relevant business experience that uh, you want to share. So
2: I grew up in the ministry. My first career job out of college was actually in the ministry as a pastor, exited that, went into real estate. I learned probably more in two years about the ups and downs of the real estate world than you could from a thousand books on the topic because I was placed in property management, everybody's favorite industry to work in. We had 6,000 properties under management and I learned the game the hard way through being thrown into the deep end. And along that time I discovered marketing and we can get into that if you want, but fell in love with marketing, built a marketing company. Now we have a multi eight figure marketing agency. We have a sales consultancy and we have a real estate company that we are using as holdings and offering to our clients for them to use as holdings as well. That was the 32nd version, I think.
1: Got it. No, thank you. Thank you. That was great. Um, So you built a successful advertisement and sales company. Um, You have a background in property management. Uh, Were there any other reasons why out of all the investment opportunities that you could possibly have open to you that you decided to go into the real estate side of things?
2: I think that you have an interesting choice when you start talking about investment you know, obviously I don't know when this is releasing, but we can look at the last 50 years and we can see all the volatility that is inherent inside of wall street. We can look at, you know, you've got commercial real estate, single family, real estate. We have stocks, we have private purchase of businesses. We had all of these things to consider, but everything I kept coming back down to is looking at what are the bets that you're making with your money? Now, Again, I don't know when this is releasing, so I'll just tell you my thinking at the moment when we decided to get into real estate. Would you rather bet on the idea that China will never invent something better than what we can invent here? The idea that they can't make it cheaper, that they can't make it more. You got 1.4 billion people. And when people invest in stocks here, what we're really betting on is that they will be able to maintain their edge, which is like surfing away. It's 1000 micro adjustments. And that's where the volatility comes from, because new company over here invents something brand new. It tanks the stock of this company over here. And it's this, to me, when I was looking at it, I'm like, I am probably safe in assuming that people will always want to not live in a tent. Uh, maybe we'll go that route where people are like, you know, I'd rather live on the street than in a house. But you know, if you're comparing odds, um, I tell our clients all the time inside of the real estate and the agency side, you are not looking for 100% guarantees. You are comparing the odds and choosing the odds that are you know, more well-rounded. They serve you better. And me and Chris were like, you know, people are always going to want a place to live. Let's put our money there uh, because there's no – unless Elon gets us to Mars, which is possible, the supply and demand is fixed. Like, demand is not going to increase. We don't have any more lands. So I would rather put money into something where the supply is relatively certain. And the demand is always going to be increasing than in something like Wall Street. I have a lot of thoughts on that because I know a lot of people who can play the markets well. It's just a full-time job and it's still is volatile. So that's kind of what played into our decision making there.
0: How has running and scaling an
2: advertising company, a marketing company, how has that helped you uh, build a real estate business? That's an amazing question because it's probably one of the big differentiators between us and a lot of others playing the game is... There's, you know, small businesses run the world economy and most venture capital, most investment capital is reserved for the big players. So when we were building traffic and funnels, we had several situations where if we run out of cash, we just have to close the doors. We're out. When that's the truth, when that's the case, you're forced to think through worst case scenarios and contingencies and all these things. So for us with real estate, Chris, my business partner calls it hedging. We do not like, even with our banks, I was talking with uh, one of our banking partners a couple of days ago, we are not clutch. We're not clutch because clutch is like, man, you came through with the buzzer. We are as far away from clutch as you can possibly get in that right now, you know, there's a lot of concern in the market, but we could have no rent on any of our properties for a year and still pay the notes because to us, we've thought through the contingencies, the worst case scenarios. And so we're not really playing Optimizing for growth, we're optimizing for safety. And that comes from the entrepreneur world, not from the real estate
1: world. Does that make sense? It definitely does. Just just something that's coming to mind as we're having this conversation. It sounds more or less like you're looking at real estate as a safe place to park your money and you're not really looking to grow your wealth necessarily through real estate, but rather just kind of park it there, make sure it's safe. So that's why you have such reserves.
2: Yeah. And I want it to grow over 30 years. Not if I wanted a vehicle where I had to double my money. Every two months, i throw that into a business. But there's a chance I could lose it. You know, like it's a it's a trade-off. If you can look at real estate, like a vehicle that's going to, I mean, I'm, I want this to grow over 30 years. I want it to be here when I'm old. That's kind of how we're looking, which allows us to, you know, uh, one of our banks in, in Missouri, we just basically got, we, we declined a dozen properties. And they're all like, the bank doesn't understand. They're like, this is 10, 12, 13%. But when we put them through our grid, they're just not safe enough. At the end of the day, it's not safe enough, and so even banks. I tell our clients like we are more paranoid than banks. Which, if you're more paranoid than a bank, you are crazy. But we're there because the last thing you want to do is you work so hard to build all of this income and this capital, and then you put it into a vehicle that drops three thousand points over the span of a week. Um, one of our investors last week that he kept a big portion in bonds lost three million dollars last week. Uh, you just don't want to play around. Like I don't want to play around with things that I cannot personally have a measure of control over. And so, yeah, absolutely safe long term. It'll build cash flow, but that's not the main purpose, you know.
1: One hundred percent. What type of real estate or business are you in, and what, what's your investment strategy in terms of like uh, you doing single family, multifamily? What's going on there?
2: Right now, everything's single family. I have chosen single family for now. We'll get into multifamily probably later, but you guys know multifamily is so sexy and it's so hot. And I'm like, man, if I wanted to buy a business right now, here's what I would buy. freaking buy a lawn care company or like a some boring company that nobody wants to do because in that is safety. And so we've pivoted into just single family. Um, 70% of our holdings in our portfolio is long-term rentals. So Kansas City, Birmingham, Alabama, Charlotte, North Carolina. People are going to sign a two-year lease, one, one-year lease, three-year lease, and they're just going to pay. And the returns that we're shooting for are 15 to 25%. People are like, what, 15 to 25% in long-term? Yes, because if you don't buy every property you find, you can actually hold out for the good properties. And then 30% of our property is in vacation rentals. This is the number one concern for me in the event of a recession is people do not want to go on vacation. Well, they want to go, but they don't. And so you've got 30A, you've got the West Coast, the East Coast. We chose a place in the middle of Southern Missouri, Branson. And people go to Branson in a good market because they are on the middle class side. People go to Branson in a bad market because they're upper middle class, but they don't want to go to Florida because it's too expensive. It's a little bit of a diamond in the rough that serves the demographics in both markets. But I will tell you that we're rebalancing right now simply because it's not quite as safe as it once was. And I think it'll come back. But Airbnb has never been through a recession. Nobody's remembered that except for us.
1: Yeah. Just for everybody listening, this is in the midst. This is, uh, what is it? It's March 18th. We're in the midst of the COVID virus and pretty much travel is on lockdown. Airports are closed. People aren't traveling. So it is is (laughs) an unsafe time uh, for for Airbnb. So I'll let Brandon take this one. So Taylor, are you guys
0: experiencing a slowdown on the Airbnb bookings right now?
2: A little bit, but not enough to... It's still early. I mean, we're... What would you say? A weekend? Maybe a week and a half? Um, We've had certain people that have canceled, but Airbnb just released free cancellation, pre-refund. So that's, that's part of it, but not enough to be really concerned because we're not on the coast. And I think people who are on the coast are going to feel this a lot different. We're in the middle of the United States in Branson and there's no airport in Branson. So it was very, very well selected, but we're feeling a little bit of it on the slowdown. And I think that it might continue for a little bit, but here's the thing. What, We have, I advise all of our clients to do the same thing. Like they'll spend the cash flow. That's not the point of it. And so we have clients who have six month reserves, eight month reserves. If if they don't make a profit on the house for six months, they're going to be okay. And here lies the problem in 2008 is the over-leveraged situation and how people were just in a heyday. And I've learned from that. I don't want to go through that. And so if you don't miss a payment, the bank is not going to mess with it. And we've done that on purpose.
0: So. Very good. All right. So, so talk to us about your company's process, starting with sourcing properties. Talk to us about how you like go through the rehab process after it's rehabbed and sold to investors. Um, how is property managed handled? Talk to us about your company, what, what the operations look like.
2: Everything starts with acquisitions. That's the key to the game is can you find houses that are undervalued, uh, whether that's distressed properties or distressed owners. In the case of like right now, people are just like, how to offload this? And we have an acquisitions director who's very strong. And I worked with him for, you know, I worked with him seven years ago when I was learning real estate. And we hire people in the markets, wholesalers, people who drive around, look at properties. We do some advertising on whether people would like to sell their houses. And we just, some of it's old fashioned that your audience probably already knows. You know, like you can find great houses just by driving around neighborhoods. We hire that out and our grid right now if I'm allowed to share how we make decisions is if a house, if we can get it to an ARV with 70% LTV cash in the deal, we'll do it and we'll buy as many as we can. So what that allows you to have is a spread. And I'm Chris is going to probably be like, bro, you shouldn't share so much on free podcast. But what I found in training, you know, 60,000 clients from our advertising agent is you can tell somebody everything and most people will still not do it. So I'll just give you everything. So a hundred thousand dollar ARV. Uh, if we can get into that house acquisition plus rehab for seventy grand, done, done, and we're going to keep it. We're probably going to we, we keep as much as we can. Uh, we have a lot at about a million a month that we want to keep personally. And people always forget that we created WealthCap first and foremost for for me. Like I wanted to find properties, I wanted to put some of our cash out of our bank account into properties, and we could not find someone to do this for us up to our standards. And so the main motivation for us is to find really good deals and that we give clientele opportunities to purchase those assets as well. We have rehab teams in each of our markets. They go in, they fix everything. If you know we need to change out the HVAC, we do that. We do have uh, strong integrity in making sure that we are renovating for the decrease of capital expenditure for the owner of the property. That means if the roof has three months left, we're probably not going to sell that without fixing the roof. And we provide scope of work, everything like that. We have property management in our markets, and typically we'll we'll send that out in an, into a net of agents, pay a leasing fee, rent it
1: up, and we use property manager in house in the market. Makes sense? It absolutely, makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, I know you mentioned that you acquire a lot of these properties and you keep a lot of them yourself. But what do you do? What, do, do you sell any of these to a retail buyers at the end of the line?
2: Uh, we could yeah we do sometimes we mostly right now and I'll just give you actual numbers right now we have 13 or 14 under renovations right now we're going to keep half of them and sell half of them and that grid comes from us internally we want to pick up about a million a month in property that may change later but right now that's what we want to do is a million a month the thing that happened and the reason that this morphs into the to what it is 2019 we had built the teams and we were just putting money into the market. And uh, a client named Alrick from Boston, Massachusetts was like, hey, uh, I got all this cash and I don't know what to do with it. And we're like, hey, you could you know, give it to us and we'll manage it for you because we'll just use it to go buy houses and we'll pay you. And then all of our clientele was a chain reaction. Everybody was like, hey, well, I want, I want to protect my money. I want to do this. And we we're like, you know what? We can still buy a million a month. For us, and then we could actually buy another million a month and make it available to our clients. And then our crews got better; they got faster because they weren't taking other jobs. And we were like, you know what? We just need to—if we see a house that meets our grid, we'll buy it. You know, we're, we're not going to make the decision. Well, we're out of money, or out of—we don't want to buy more. We just end up picking it up, and then we'll either keep it or we'll turn around and we'll make it available to a client. So we've morphed into a little bit of a turnkey company, even though that was never the goal. The intention was never to build a turnkey company because I have, uh, you know, we have two other like really, really profitable cash heavy businesses. I don't need another business for income. But it sounds so cheesy what I'm saying. Like our clients wanted it and we we're like, you know, let's go ahead and do it. And it's worked out really, really well. Everybody says that, but you got to know talking with me or Chris, I'm like, we're not really motivated as much by cash flow anymore because you've got TF who's just like, you know, 10x any dollar that we put into it. And at a certain point, it's like, man, all of our income can come from that. We don't really need any more. This is more of a client play that we're able to be holistic with everyone. We can talk about advertising, we can talk
1: about sales, and we can build long-term wealth with you. That's awesome. So it's like that classic model. You have the operating business that's generating, it's the cash cow, if you will. And then you just have the real estate is just your storehouse of your wealth for your cash reserves. And basically the benefit of what you guys have going on here for you, what you do is you can also then allow your clients to participate in that second piece of the business in building the wealth and maintaining the wealth with you through this uh, accidental turnkey business that you found yourself in.
2: 100% and then you know what's funny is your seasoned investors who like man they've been in real estate for 20 years. The question they have for us when they see our grids and our buyers guide is like what's 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 wrong with the house because the house is a 27% cash on cash and it looks amazing. What is wrong? Well, like what's wrong with the house? The the reason that they see that is because most turnkey they're inflating the prices to meet to maximize profit. If a house is at 27%, well that's crazy. Uh, let's inflate the price to bring that down to 10 or 12, because that's normal. And then let's go ahead and mix appreciation and debt pay down. Let's inflate that number as much as we can. I'm not saying every company is like this, but I'm saying a lot of them are. For us, we're not really maximizing for profit. We just, we want to get rid of the deal because we bought it. We don't need it. It's a great house and we're just going to flip it to someone else. And so what you see is these duplexes that are like, I mean, Three weeks ago, we sold a duplex to somebody in Kansas City. Actually, St. Joe. It's a suburb of Kansas City. 32% cash on cash. He signed on Friday. The renter was placed on Monday. And he's like, dude, this isn't normal, is it? I'm like, God, no, this isn't normal. This is just the byproduct of, you know, we're a turnkey company that doesn't really care that much about profit, which is ridiculous. And so a lot of people are benefiting a lot because they're getting access to the company that I've built for myself and for Chris. We're making that available to other people. You know what I mean? So,
0: you know, you talked about, like, other turnkey providers inflating profits. We, we've talked about, I believe, either I've written about or I've talked about with some guests previously about how turnkey providers, what they will do, you know, they'll, they'll go in and they'll buy the asset. Um, they'll rehab the asset. They'll then sell the assets to their client. They'll inflate all that. They'll take an acquisition fee they'll place the tenant, take a fee for placing the tenant, then they'll manage it, take a fee for managing the property. And then any sort of rehab, they're going to mark up or any sort of ongoing maintenance, they're going to mark up by 10 to 20%. So really on these turnkey properties, investors could potentially get some really good turnkey properties, but the turnkey providers also make out like bandits. How are you
2: guys compared to all of that? Do you guys um, talk to me a little bit about the pricing there and how that kind of works? The biggest issue with turnkey providers, how do we compare probably opposite on a lot of things, but let me explain why that's true and make a case for why we're doing it different. The problem with turnkey is supply and demand. So you want to maximize how many houses you sell and you have to pay for all of that. And so like for us right now, we could very easily turn into a big turnkey company, like blow up 80 million, You know, million, It would not be that difficult because there are a ton of houses in Kansas city, Birmingham, North Carolina, and Branson. The problem is to fix the supply and demand curve, you have to lower your buy box. So then all of a sudden you start getting houses with a $10,000 spread. You're not going to make enough money on the flip to pay for your operations costs. You got to charge up on rehab. You got to charge up on property management. You got to charge up on all these different things. That's what happened in the company that i worked at previously. I'm talking, man, like 5% was good cash on cash. And I'm like, dude, what in the world? But they were inflating everything with like, well, you got to count in 5% appreciation, which is speculative, instantly disqualified, right? You got to mix in debt pay down, which is true, but it shouldn't be mixed into the cash on cash. So what we're trying to do, like we have a waiting list that's two months long, and I would rather have that waiting list and protect the quality of the product and the quality of the relationship with the buyer and grow organically because... To find extra supply without compromising your standards, it just requires time. You've got to build relationships with the people who are driving around in the cities. It's not that the houses aren't out there. It's that people cut corners to try to fix that supply thing. And if I wanted to, to sell 80 houses next month, man, I mean, I'd have to go buy houses at market value to hit 80 within 30 days. And then I'm having to mark them up to pay for all of it. So you can see how really it's it's a different level of standards for us, and we have had to... I'm okay if this is a little bit smaller for a while to protect all of that. I don't know if that quite answers your
1: question. but That's really smart. And uh, I think it's uh, it definitely differentiates you from a lot of turnkey companies out there. Because like Brandon said before, a lot of these companies are just looking to milk every dollar they can out of their company, looking to scale as, uh, as much as they can. And people will compromise their standards, uh, their acquisition standards. I've seen it happen time and time again. So uh, I think what you're doing is just, I was sitting here thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, this guy is really smart, <laughs> but, um, I, but so uh, Chris, I was thinking the same thing, actually just
0: saying, <laughs> I was like, wow, you're like the first turnkey guy that I've ever felt, or, well, I don't want to call you turnkey because you just kind of fell into it, but you're the first guy that's ever kind of maybe convinced me that I could look at some of this stuff. <laughs> yeah,
1: so, uh, I mean, I, I guess, uh, in a typical turnkey business, there, there are some downsides to the retail investor, many of which I think you've already addressed, would you be able to speak to any downsides that uh, just are always inherent in a turnkey model, regardless of some of the things that you've been able to change within your business?
2: Yeah, we can go. I, it depends on how deep you want to go here because I'm not allowed to say that there's no risk. And uh, I'm really not allowed to say much on the risk side. But Brandon, I think you've talked to Chris before. You know, we're we're paranoid, man. Like We are paranoid at the level of like, we want to be invaded. If we're invaded by the Russians, can we keep our wealth and can we keep collecting rent? And it's a different level. So the risk. Building an are, army too.
1: Sorry. We're, building, we're building,
2: <laughs> building. an army of construction contractors. Yeah. Uh, In terms the and defense company. <laughs> the, the downside, like the downside of properties, is like, man, you have rent not being paid. So there's vacancy. Then there's non-payment. And then you've got the downside of the reverse uh, appreciation. And you've got all these things like a tornado could come through or whatnot. So there's a lot of different risks that you got to mitigate against. I think the most important ones are vacancy and maintenance. That's the biggest risk. Because if you put all your money into a, a portfolio of properties, it's fine if you have 100 properties. Like for us, if we have 30% of our properties not paid, that's why I'm we're, we're concerned about the vacation rentals, but we don't need the vacation rentals because there's diversity in the portfolio. A lot of the risk with our single property investors is like there's, if a house goes vacant, you're 100% vacant, you know? And the way we mitigate that is we actually created a fund that's it's accredited to the SEC. Everything's above board. We have the whole nine yards. It's, it's completely above board. But what it does is it gives our investors a non-variable, aka not volatile at all, Investment vehicle so that if you have 100k in the funds, it's going to pay you a percentage return, and you'll have you know, there's risk in that as well because we could, you know, all of a sudden overnight, two of our eight figure businesses and our seven figure business could go bankrupt and we could all move to Canada. All right, there's risk in everything. I'm not saying there's no risk, but it's non variable, which means you don't have to worry about vacancy or maintenance or anything like that. And what happens is the returns from the non-variable vehicle end up covering the downside of the variable vehicle, which is your properties. I'll give you an example. Let's say you have ten properties, three hundred and fifty dollars cash flow per month. What is that? Thirty-five hundred dollars per month in cash flow. That's who cares about that? Everybody, you know, people are like, well, that's the whole point of investing. No, it's not. Let's put that aside for a minute. What you need to look at is the mortgages attached to those ten properties. Say it's seven hundred bucks per month, seven thousand dollars. Multiply that. You know, the industry average. For the nation is 8% vacancy. But let's say you're crazy and you want to triple that. Let's say we want to prepare against 30% vacancy, which would be $2,100 a month, right? So 10 houses, you have a risk assessment of $2,100 a month. We advise to make sure that you have an investment path that's coming in that's at least $2,100 a month that is non variable, which means if those three tenants don't pay, you're not having to pay for it, right? This takes your risk down from the 30% we're talking about down almost as close to zero as you can get because it's uncorrelated, reverse correlated income streams. And that's what we teach our investors. And I think it's really important because it's not that you're looking for 100%. It's that you're looking for the best odds and then protecting yourself against the downside. I'm kind of rambling there, but that's what I would say to the risk side. That's good. And you're, you're talking about vacancy being a big risk.
0: So when you go into a market and you're buying up all these homes, and then you're selling them, or you're keeping them for yourself. So the first question is, how do you know that you're not saturating the market with rentals that maybe aren't needed? The second question is, if I have two clients, two rentals that are open, and I get one tenant, how do you decide which one to go in?
2: Okay, so the first question is, how do you not saturate a market, right? Um, Ray Dalio could probably saturate a market. Uh, We can't. There's no way we can saturate a market. What you want to look at is making sure that you're not unduly at risk by having 25 properties only in one market. If, if you're not looking at zip codes, it's like with, with Kansas city and with Branson, you know, like with Branson, it's a vacation market. So we're diversifying based on locations around the lake, right? With Kansas city, Charlotte, Birmingham, we're diversifying around zip codes. So you don't want, you don't want the whole neighborhood because, you know, you've got one job source, one school source, but you're not going to saturate Charlotte, North Carolina. Right.
0: Well, yeah, and I guess I'm just talking about the smaller markets, but that makes sense. If you're diversifying per zip code, I guess that kind of answers yeah. that question. But how about the second question? If you've got you get two open rentals, how do you pick where the tenant goes, or do you, do you just let the tenant pick? I guess that's probably a pretty rookie question on my part. I've never run a
2: property management company. No, yeah, no, it's fine. And, and this is great because in 2013, I wrote probably 5,000 leases. Uh, it's insane. 2013, 2014. So a lot of times, the showings will be open for a house. You may have tenants or renters that go and look at multiple houses, but there's this really good report that we look at in each city before we go to the city. And it's the number of applications per open house. Birmingham is decent. Charlotte is amazing. Kansas City is really good. There's a city north, uh, south of Nashville, Columbia, I think it's 105 applications per open house for people to rent the house. It's like mind boggling. And uh, a lot of times what we're seeing in St. Joe and in Charlotte is, man, the house just rent so fast that it doesn't matter. You're probably not going to be in a position with us where it's like you have two houses and we only have one renter in the whole world who can, who can rent. And you have to pick which house to go into because there's, if you pick the right market, Charlotte's got 200 people a day moving into Charlotte. You're not going to have that issue.
1: Makes sense. So, you know, this uh, kind of switching gears a little bit, this would not be the real estate CPA podcast if we did not talk about taxes. So, you know, you have an advertising business and now you're involved in a real estate business building wealth. Is there any tax strategies that you've been using or that you're eyeing in either one of the businesses to help minimize your tax bills?
2: You know what? This is probably going to turn out to be the best advertisement for you guys of all time because we just paid you guys to do that and you're telling us what to do. So I still don't understand what's going on. I'm just signing where you tell me to, and uh, it's going to work out great. But from what I've seen, those people should just pay you guys. Well, and, and I think that you're
0: in a really unique situation where you have the advertising company that's spitting off earned income, ordinary income, and then you've got the real estate company that's spitting off passive income. But you're in a unique position where you can theoretically, materially participate in the Real estate company. You could theoretically make that your primary gig. Uh, you could theoretically qualify as a real estate professional and theoretically deduct all of the losses that come off of the theoretical uh, <laughs> passive losses. There you <laughs> go. All the, all the rental losses and theoretically you could offset it on your on your business income. But this is all theoretical, of course. But it's cool being yeah. in that sort of position where you scale a business. We have a couple clients that have done this. You scale business. And then you go and you say, okay, I'm gonna to try to put this thing on autopilot as much as I possibly can. I still need to be involved, but I'm definitely gonna hire out a team, automate as much as possible. I'm gonna go scale this real estate business. And those clients typically make out like bandits when it comes to the tax code,
2: at least. So and I would say another thing, just to get my philosophy on that, I think that there's a problem with most people in the world. And it's a disease of the thinking, and, and it shows itself by them trying to learn everything about everything for me you know there's no way I would be where I am today if I was d- gonna decide to become a tax professional expert or if I was going to become it you don't want to build the car from the ground up every time you want to do a vehicle and I think there's a lot of people who have really bad thinking in that like instead of paying a professional they're just gonna go in and you know they're gonna learn how to how to hire drivers and find a house they're gonna buy a wrench off of uh, amazon.com and they're gonna go in and start fixing it's like no 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 For me, I want to focus on what I do best and I will gladly, happily pay the people who have spent their entire lives getting good. And that's a play from Henry Ford. We're just standing up in front of everyone. They're asking all these stupid questions. It's like, well, I don't know, but I can call somebody or I can talk to somebody who has the answer to that. That's how me and Chris have lived our lives. And you cannot argue with the results because things are exponentially increasing. I'll never learn the tax code ever. I don't ever want to I'll pay you guys because you know it and we'll call it good,
1: you know? It is certainly hard to disagree with that logic. And I could, I guess I could attest to to being one of those people and there's uh, another real estate investor out there, a guy named Jake from a group named Jake and Gino. And he always says he has the I'm a mentality. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. And you have to do everything. But, yeah. you know, as a recovering addict, I guess you can say of that type of mentality, it is best to, it's best to stick to what you're good at, put all your time and energy into that, make that as profitable as you can then outsource or delegate everything else. And uh, it, it, to your point, I mean, the results, you're living testament to those results. So I, I think it's just a matter, if you are one of those people, to seek some help, seek some business coaching, and hopefully they'll be able to help you uh, get out of that type of vibe mentality because you can't have your hands in everything. You're just not, you're spreading yourself too thin and you're just not going to be successful at the end of the day. Yep, 100%. So this brings us into a good question that we we have. We ask everybody who comes on the show, what is your favorite piece of technology or the current software that you're currently using in either business uh, that you couldn't live without? Asana. Asana. Project management. Yep. Asana. I think uh, I think that's uh, I think we've heard of that before. I'm not sure, but we'd have to check that out. It sounds like interesting software for sure.
0: Yeah, it's like, it's project and task management. We used we we looked at that. We almost switched to that, but we switched to Carbon, which is built out for
2: accounting firms. But Asana was like a very close second. So. It's pretty uh, I think we, I like it because it's versatile. You know, we use it for traffic and funnels, we use it for sales mentor, we use it for wealthcap, so we and different accounts, obviously, but it's versatile on the granular level enough to build it out for whatever you want, you know.
1: Awesome, awesome. And we, we can't resist, of course, we are in the middle of the COVID virus, um, and it is sweeping the nation and destroying everything. Um <laughs> he just sounds so down there, but' destroying literally everything no I'm, I'm kidding it's not that bad um but uh how how has covid nineteen impacted your business, and what what are you doing for damage control essentially?
2: yeah, I mean, like dude, I was talking to Chris this morning, and my heart goes out to people who are struggling because of it. I think there's a lot of businesses who you know people who can't go to work in the hospitality industry or the restaurants and it's, it's very damaging to a lot of people, and I feel. I feel sad for them and I want them to recover. And I was telling our clients the other day, if anybody ever needs anything, even just to talk, hit me up because people react differently to different crises. And it will never be my intention to not have empathy for somebody going through something traumatic. But I was telling Chris, man, I just feel like we have been preparing for this for a long time. Everyone knows that something can't grow indefinitely. We were in the longest bull run, uh, I think in the history of the United States economy, at least. For... Like every, it was almost like every month that it went by, the more nervous I got because I'm like, something has to correct, nobody knows what's going to cause it. And it's almost like the pressure valve releasing, I was talking to Chris, I'm like, dude, I just feel I'm glad. I'm not glad that people are suffering, but I'm glad that we finally are able to use a plan. We've trained for this, it had to happen. And I feel like it's an unprecedented level of opportunity for the people who have the eye to see it because... You can either freak out and you can allow fear to make your day-to-day decisions. And that's always damaging, probably more damaging than any disease or virus or anything out there. Or you can maintain your presence of mind. You can breathe, go for a walk and look at this as what it is, which really every problem is an opportunity to advance, right? And there are some things we're doing, like we close the offices, making sure people know that they can work from home. We want people to feel safe. We don't want people to feel... Uh, Like they're forced to do something or they're they're going through a traumatic experience without support. But for the most part, I am more concerned about the raging pandemic panic fear. We are our biggest obstacles. And uh, I think we need to get a grip on that. I'm not sure if you'll have to cut any of this out or not, but I'm just saying I'm more concerned about what it's doing to people's thinking than I am for what it's doing to people's bodies. Yeah. You know? Well, it's interesting. I read,
0: I don't even remember where I saw this is either on Twitter or like Reddit or something, but the guy is basically, he runs a business where he consults other CEOs and he called a hundred of them up last week, last week, for anybody listening, we're recording this on March 18th. So last week was March 9th through 13th, which was where all of this was really hitting the fan pretty hard. And so he called, called up a hundred of these guys and and women and asked them a series of questions and after that, he was able to group their answers into three buckets. There was the fear-based CEO. There was yes. the um, I don't remember. I don't remember what the middle bucket
2: was. Who? Yeah. Todd Herman is the one that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Todd Herman. Yeah. So, so he said, "There's the fear-based CEO, and then in the middle, there's like the there's like uh, apathetic or something.
0: Yeah, apathetic, and then there was the strategic thinking CEO, and the fear-based CEO." consume 10 X more media than the strategic thinking CEO. And they were yeah. way more scared and worried and their emotions were getting involved in their strategic thinking. The strategic thinking CEOs were nervous, but they had sat down with their advisors, with their team, whatever. And they drafted up a plan. They put it in writing. They just said, you know what, look, when, when things hit these marks, then this is what we're going to do. And he just said that those guys are just much more, they're not consuming as much media And they're just, he, he, I think he felt, maybe he didn't, maybe this is just me interpreting, but basically felt that the strategic folks are going to, they're going to make better decisions, better chance of survival. And honestly, before I read that, I was in the fear-based camp. I mean, I was sitting here on Twitter, on Reddit, looking at all those people losing their jobs. And I was nervous. And I'm sitting here like, crap, what do I, what do I do with my CPA firm? But then when I thought about it, I I got some of my team together and we started going through some of the motions. It's like, okay, guys, like, like we're good. We're, we're a virtual CPA firm. We're, we're perfect from an operational capacity Our some of our clients might end up suffering, but let's go ahead and figure out how we can start advising them on that. And let's not make irrational decisions. Let's just think about it. If we can, all, all we have to do is survive. <laughs> you know, all we have to do is survive. Come Q3, Q4, it's gonna be a lot yeah. of folks that didn't survive. And you're gonna be able to, as a business owner, come in and either help them grow again, or you are going to be able to purchase their assets. Like there's just gonna be, all, all you have to do is survive. So take a step back, do what you said, go on a walk, take a breather and come back and develop your plan and just execute the plan. Make it very objective, just execute the plan.
2: Yeah, let time do its work. I think people's greatest assets are thinking in your time, that's it. And we are a week into this and we, there's been no time. Like you're saying, Q3, Q4, Q4 is gonna be one of the greatest quarters I think in the last 20 years, unless you like capitulate because of fear. You know, So that's what it's all about is surviving and letting time do its work.
1: I agree with that 100%. You know, one, one comment I'll make on this and then we'll we'll wrap up with the last question is, uh, you know, I, I hate to say it like this, but it was almost like I was waiting for this moment for a long time. And I hate to see it come as the way it did um, in the coronavirus. But uh, this is going to be the 2008. This is your time. People have cash on hand, people who could accumulate cash still within this period. Uh, it's going to be your time to buy a lot of assets at bottom prices and uh, ride the wave up, ride the wave up again. I mean, if you look at the bull run we just went on for the last 11 years or so, uh, this is your opportunity to get on the bottom of that wave, just ride it up. So, uh, you know, if people out there panicking, selling their stocks and stuff, uh, may want to reconsider that, but this is the time to prepare for, for what's next. But Taylor, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. How can our listeners learn more about your businesses, whether it be traffic and funnels or, or your turnkey business? How can they learn more about those?
2: Um, yeah. So there's a website, wealthcapholdings.com, wealthcapholdings.com. Uh, there's a couple books. We have resources there that are free. And when you go to that site and you download the book, it'll send you to a URL, which is our Facebook group, which we always are posting inventory, training, etc. cetera. Um, can I get multiple links or, or just one?
1: Nope, only one. No, okay, so okay.
2: many as you want. Just one, just one who's mine. Okay, I have to pay, <laughs> have to pay for extra. Um, I think I think right now something that has nothing to do with real estate, but it's really, really important is we launched a a daily mindset podcast about three weeks ago. And man, the the thing that people are commenting on more than anything is this podcast because it's three or four minutes long every single day, Monday through Friday. And, you know, we're not going to talk a ton about real estate on that podcast. We have other podcasts for that, which we can share with you. But this is the thing. Investors all over the world, the ones who win are the ones who protect the way they think. First and foremost, everything else is an outflowing of the way you think and your mental mindset. I was telling some uh, clients through the day, and my mindset has been trained for this, trained to the level of impenetrability where I can take advantage ethically, morally of whatever situation is in front of me. And I do a lot of training every day, a couple minutes on how are are the most successful clients we have, the most successful investors we have, how are they thinking through the ups and downs of life, business, et cetera. It's completely free. You can get that at dailymindmedicine.com. So those two sites I would highly recommend. And uh, yeah, we have so much content, but I'll just give those two and people can follow the rabbit trail from there.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that with us. I'm definitely going to check that out. And I want to thank you again for joining us today and uh, stay safe during the COVID crisis.
2: Yes, you as well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for
1: listening.
0: Discover how you can start building wealth with real estate, even without experience in our free book, Why Real Estate and How to Get Started by visiting WealthCapHoldings.com slash book. That's WealthCapHoldings.com slash book.